Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Francis Wade. I'm Art Gelwicks. So welcome, gentlemen, to the show. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about chronotypes, chronotyping, and the construct of ideal daily schedules for optimal productivity. And what I'd like us to do is to define chronotypes for our audience. And we're going to be talking about chronotypes and ideal daily schedules through the lens of actually two books. Uh, the books are The Power of When, by Michael Bruce. Uh, he's a PhD sleep psychologist. And uh, Dan Pink, many of you know Dan Pink from his other books, but he recently came out with a book called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And I feel like the two books really uh, blend well together. They both talk about chronotyping and they're talking about how to set up ideal schedules for for um, having a productive life and I think they work well together and and uh, you gentlemen can tell me if I'm if I'm wrong but um, let's let's get into uh, first the construct of a chronotype C can anybody describe for our audience what is a chronotype what, what does what does the concept of a chronotype mean I, I think of a, a chronotype as a preference for doing certain activities at certain times and the, the the way the I believe the book has it structured is that it focuses on when you're at your sort of most alert, your most able, when your thoughts are flowing freely, freely when you can produce your best work. And different people have different preferences or chronotypes with respect to when they can do their best work. So, for example, I'm I'm so obviously a morning person. It's it's painful to anyone who ever watches me who happens to be an evening person um, because it, it it's almost as if I turn off. I, I literally turn off at about 8 o'clock and I become totally useless. Maybe 7, but it's definitely not the best time of day for me. Best time for day for me is the early morning, which starts at about 5 o'clock and goes to about mm, 10, 11. And it sort of degrades during the day and then I have to take a coffee at about one o'clock so that I can sort of last and still be productive. But it's all a matter of sort of managing myself around my time, the best times for me where I do my best work. And I think knowledge of a chronotype, knowledge of one's chronotype leads a person to better manage his or her own internal state. And I would only add to that to kind of clarify for folks that you use the word preference, and I think that it's important to understand that our chronotypes are 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 set biologically. We lean into these chronotypes. The research has unfolded for us to to give us a picture that most of this is based on our sleep and when we sleep, and therefore what happens in the time opposing that sleep. Some of the famous chronobiologists, the people who study the the rhythms of our uh, our days, right? So Kronos, uh, you know, um, covering the, the the rotation of the sun, um, and that is the rotation of the Earth. Um, each time the Earth rotates, we have a day, right? And so our whole construct of understanding 
this is based on mostly the circadian rhythm, but to some extent the ultradian rhythm. And so the difference between that is that the circadian rhythm is our rhythm throughout the day of our metabolism. So our metabolism increases in the morning, uh, has a bit of a dip, uh, and then uh, increases again mid-afternoon usually, and then finally starts to subside as we make our way toward uh, sleeping hours. And our ultradian rhythm is actually a, a, a cyclical 90-minute up, 90-minute down energy pattern that falls along the me metabolic or the circadian rhythm pathway. And uh, so uh, keep that in mind that this is there's a lot of this that is just biologically set, and it's something that was interesting to me, and I'll, I want to get your thoughts on this, gentlemen, which is in The Power of When, uh, Dr. Bruce brings up a, a new perspective on chronotypes. So the, the customary chronotypes that were developed by uh, German chronobiologists uh, basically had the morning lark and the night owl. As you talked about, uh, Francis, you are a morning lark. And if I understand things, uh, art, you are as well. Very much so. Yeah. So, um, in that vein, we have we have the morning lark and we have the night owl, uh, and then uh, th those are actually uh, more unique than the vast majority of people. Um, Sixty to eighty percent of people are hummingbirds, as they call them, neither morning larks nor night owls. And uh, and and so, Doctor Bruce thought, well, in his sleep psychology practice, he wasn't seeing that. He was actually studying insomniacs and people with severe sleep issues. And so he got interested in figuring out, well, does this really make sense? And he came up with a new paradigm, uh, which has four different distinct personality slash chronotypes. So these aren't really purely chronotypes. These are actually a melange of personality plus chronotypes. And that immediately made me kind of suspicious to the whole construct. But ultimately, when I looked at the book as a whole, I really found to, there to be a really strong argument for it. And so he has these four pieces, the bear, the lion, the wolf, and the dolphin. And uh, he chose to use mammals in his sleep paradigm, his, his chronotyping paradigm, which I think is appropriate since humans are mammals. And uh, and so he goes on to talk about bears being uh, traditionally what we would consider the every person, hummingbirds, uh, people who are neither morning larks nor night owls. Uh, then he talks about lions, the traditional morning lark, wolf, which is traditionally the night owl, and now this new uh, other uh, chronotype that he's called dolphin. And uh, these are the fo folks who traditionally have uh, sleep issues. And uh, and this is near and dear to my heart because upon taking the Power of When quiz, which you can take on his website, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but if you go and take the quiz on, on his website, you can figure out which of these chronotypes you are. There's actually another test in the book that he talks about where you can actually take your temperature throughout the evening, starting, I think, at 7 p.m. It's every hour you take your temperature. I'll, I'll have to look it up in the book and I'll put it in the show notes. But, you know, he gives very ex explicit instructions in how to use a digital thermometer to see whether or not your temperature increases or decreases over the course of the evening hours. And that actually dictates what your chronotype is. It turns out I'm a dolphin and uh, that's a real problem for me. <laughs> I hadn't realized that uh, for, for many years, but upon reading the material on what a dolphin is and how they experience sleep. Uh, I, it was just, it was very, very eye opening. So with that, what did you think about the 
construct of the four chronotypes as opposed to traditional. Most people only really talk about larks and night owls. Uh, if anyone really talks about larks even and not hummingbirds, uh, I think most of the time I hear people talking about night owls and not necessarily talking about morning larks and hummingbirds. And now we have this fourfold paradigm. What did you think about the, the paradigm? I do struggle with it a little bit. I think they're very accurate in their assessment when you give it when you go through the entire chronotype definition, uh, where I get a I get hung up on it a little bit is, and this is going to sound silly, it's on the animals themselves. And here's what I mean. I think what happens is people hear these definitions that I'm a dolphin or I'm a lion or I'm a bear, and they lose sight of the fact that it's it's basically just a name for this definition, and they mentally slip back into what's the personality type that I assign to that animal. So when you hear that somebody is a bear, you're, you're assigning personality features to it, which may have nothing to do with the chronotype itself. Uh, when I look at, and when you look at the definitions of it, you know, I started off, I followed the normal evolution of this being a wolf in my teenage years and becoming much more of a, um, a lion now. Again, you see, you hear those terms and it's like, oh, well, he's that type of a person. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with this hardwiring and using that as a way to either validate or not validate the behaviors you have and your energy levels and when is it best to do things. Uh, the other thing I have with the chronotypes, though, is and I know we have to do this to understand this kind of thing because this can get very navel-gazy, is it creates boxes. I mean, if we're going to keep throwing animals into this, it creates pigeonholes. So you, you look at this and say, I am either one or the other. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You, it flexes back and forth at times. You can do things that will push you into one area for a while and then back to the other. Uh, there's more of a, a standard that you get to, you know, if you look at a larger time period of, yes, I am more typically this type, but it's not, they're not clear cutoff points. And I think people can get themselves trapped if they say, oh, I must be this, or I must be that. It changes over time. And you have to think about that. There's a lot of good evidence to show that anthropomorphizing animals has caused uh, some really unfortunate science. I, I recently was watching a YouTube video about penguins. Uh, a lot of the uh, ways in which we look at penguins uh, today is actually based on a little bit of a puritanical view of the world because penguins are supposed to be cute and cuddly and, and all of this other stuff. And a lot of the science that came from the study of those penguins uh, back in the 19th century was whitewashed because it was fairly aggressive. You know, the, the species, when they uh, come into their reproductive uh, you know, cycles, their phases, um, they become very, very sexually active because their body is flooded with hormones and, um, and it can be quite you know, violent, um, if you want to call it that. And since the researchers were uh, brought this material back to the, to the Americas and explained this all, and in essence, the publishers of whatever publications published this stuff at the time, the scientific journals, in essence, just kind of like deleted that material. 
so that penguins could stay cuddly and cute because it was conforming to the human perspective that, you know, penguins should, um, you know, they mate for life kind of thing and all of these kind of, you know, things that we want penguins to uh, feel like humans. And, um, and I think that same problem happens when, you know, in, in looking at these chronotypes, looking at the dolphin and going, oh, you know, those are the fun, loving creatures that we see performing at zoos. And, uh, and that could be problematic for you. So I, I fully hear your criticism, Art. And I think that it is important for us to take a step back and remember that this is just a, a label for us to be able to identify a particular chronotype. The other thing, though, to keep in mind is that this is a hardwiring thing. I mean, when you look at it, it's based on the science is pointing that it's based on specific DNA markers and lengths of chromosomes. This is it's OK to be one of these types. It's not one of these. Oh, man, I am a lion and I really want to be a bear or I'm a bear and I really want to be a lion, which when you look in like entrepreneurial circles, that's the the common misconception is that I have to be this early to rise, work 87 hours a day, and this is the, the right type of person to be successful. You know what? Wiring's wiring. You can't change your DNA that easily on a conscious level. So you have to work with what you've been given. And it's one of those pieces where I think we have to give ourselves permission to say, okay, this is the set of rules that I have to operate by. And I'm going to make the most out of those rather than saying, nope, don't like those rules. I'm going to go by these rules and wind up incredibly frustrated. Absolutely. Actually, on on the Bulletproof blog, uh, they do a, a, a fairly succinct summary of the chronotypes. And so I'm going to I'm going to cover these for listeners just so we're all on the same page. And it's it's fairly brief. So this should take uh, just a minute. And so uh, let's just go through these. So the bear, it says, uh, and I'm quoting here from the article, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. But it says most people fall into the bear chronotype category, bears sleep wake patterns, follow the sun, and they have no difficulty sleeping. I, I would couch that they rarely have difficulty sleeping. Bears are most ready for intense tasks, smack in the middle of the morning, and they feel a dip in the mid-afternoon. Uh, jumping forward, uh, lions wake up early. Uh, these are the go-getters, the leaders, or uh, what they say in in, uh, in the Scandinavian countries as A-persons. Um, and so the, the, they go on. Uh, they, might not, they might not reach for a cup of coffee until a little bit before lunch, and their most productive hours have already passed by that time. Um, because of their action-packed mornings, they tend to fizzle out in the in the evening and turn in early, a la what Francis said. Um, further, um, again, quoting here, wolf, wolves are on the nocturnal end of the spectrum. And so they have two peak periods, noon to 2 p.m. And again, just as most of the uh, world working world is clocking out. So sometime in the late afternoon, uh, it says wolves tend to be makers, writers, artists, coders, the creative areas of the wolf's brain light up when the sun goes down. Most often than not, wolf types tend toward introversion and crave their alone time. Uh, then it goes on finally for the dolphin. It says dolphins may or may not have a regular sleep routine. As light sleepers, they frequently wake throughout the night and often do not sleep enough. Dolphins struggle to fall asleep, ruminating over the day's failures. Dolphins' extreme intelligence and tendency toward perfectionism probably explain why they spend so much time chewing over the day. They do their best work from mid-morning through early afternoon. And so just so that listeners have a flavor of what we're talking about here. Those are the four chronotypes as Dr. Bruce has outlined them. I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate a little bit, I think. Many of these sort of tests uh, or these attempts to type us 
I think they're, they're, a lot of them don't get past the sort of interesting insight um, stage. They, they give you, explain some kind of behavior and you see, you know, you, you, you take the test or you do the analysis and, oh yeah, look, that's just like me. And many of them stop there. I think the real value comes from a behavior change that results from the insight, if there is one. When I did the test, and I already knew what chronotype I was based on prior tests, so this, this wasn't brand new to me. But I, I think the, 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 the real sort of question, which goes past the initial typing. So initial typing, I think, is somewhat instructive. But I think the real meat is what behavior change does this translate to that would make a difference? That's, I think it's a, it's a difference making that is the real point. And he does something really brilliant in the book, which is he covers each of the chronotypes one by one, and he covers them in the areas of relationships, fitness, health, sleep, eat and drink, work, creativity, money, and fun. So those who are listening, you can, you can in essence, look at the book as kind of one, about one fifth the size, because you have to read those first few chapters. And then as you make your way through each of the other subsequent parts of the book, he's covering what to do in those areas for your own chronotype. That's going in the right direction, because I don't think there's a whole lot of behavior change to, changes to implement based on this in, this um, particular way of categorizing us. I don't, I don't think it's, it, 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 it's going to be a huge transformation for most people. It's going to be may, maybe a, a way in which they view their scheduling once they've accepted that they're a particular chronotype. But the behavior changes are going to be pretty subtle um, and probably won't come, I don't think, all of a sudden and, oh, my God, I'm going to change everything that I do every day. I don't think it's going to be more, it's going to be more a case of, oh, if I accept who I am, then I don't need to struggle in this area and I need to put in place this support and that support and this allowance and that allowance and more more like tinkering around the edges than a fundamental transformation of the individual. Here's where I get into the dilemma with this stuff. So for example, and I'm, and I'm going to jump down in the weeds real quick. If you look at the definition around an alliance, one of the things that they'll comment around fitness is that you should exercise in the evening if you're a lion chronotype because you've already, your peak exer- or your peak energy level is in the morning therefore if you exercise in the morning you are not increasing your energy level because of exercising therefore you should exercise in the evening to increase your energy level when it's dropping that's great but then if you look at common wisdom around getting a good night's sleep exercising before bed is frowned on so which is it this is where i think people get hung up with this stuff there are so many conflicting and contrasting ways of looking at this that they're like, I have no, I'm no closer to being able to improve my process and situation because everybody's telling me two different things. When we are looking at any of these assessments, one, this is a a well-researched assessment that Dr. Bruce has created. Uh, you know, he's a sleep psychologist. He's not just some Tom, Dick, or Harry who's off the street throwing together material. Uh, he, the, the book is actually very well researched. And um, while there's always a, a sense for me that when we when we look at personality type indicators or or social style indicators uh, like the Kiersey ter- temperament sorters, Myers Briggs, DISC, Enneagram, any of those are malleable and subjective. And so the idea here of using, say, the lion or the dolphin for uh, looking at how personality bleeds its way into those various uh, chronotypes can be 
subjective. But I think that what he does really well for us is to recognize that social behaviors, that is our, our social organization of the day, impacts our biology and vice versa. And so making minor changes, he's not asking you to make big changes. He's asking you to make minor changes throughout your day so that you can have the most optimal sleep and therefore have the best functioning on the other side of it. And I think that's that's the most por- important thing here. So I think I agree with you, Francis, in the sense that none of these are, are major changes, but it's actually the small incremental changes throughout your life that create the biggest benefit. How do you eat an elephant? Bite by bite. How do you get a better, more productive day and have more energy to do things that you want in your day? I think that Dr. Bruce would argue, just do these minor changes that fit into your life so that you can have optimal sleep so you can bet, get better on the other side of that. That when you wake, you have you feel refreshed, rejuvenated, and ready to tackle the day. And we can't do that. I mean, fundamentally, we can't be highly productive if we're not getting sleep. And it's a it's just a, a, a very important aspect of our lives. As I frequently explain to, to uh, you know, when I'm doing talks about productivity, I explain that sleep ha- has two functions. You know, one is cellular repair. It's helping our bodies uh, repair itself. But the other side is that the brain needs downtime in order to do pattern recognition and memory consolidation. So you can't remember what you learned today if you don't sleep on it and allow your brain to do the work of doing that kind of consolidation, what they call consolidation in psychology and and neuroscience. It's the idea of your brain taking the data that it collected today and attempting to code it into uh, more longer-term storage. I guess the ethos with which to approach research like this is I think experimenting is to say, well, it's it's the first thing, not hold it as a, dogma and as a, a hard and fast but you know as art said you know we probably move between the chronotypes depending on our age or how well business is going or how well our relationship is with our spouse we might even move around a bit just just depending you know but the, the focus on on sleep and how and the quality of sleep is true regardless of what chronotype we happen to identify with or which whichever one we we believe we're hardwired to I'm thinking of an example that happened with me, has happened to me very recently. So I used to not be a coffee coffee drinker up to about three years ago. I, I didn't touch the stuff and it, it didn't it didn't taste good. It didn't smell good. I, I couldn't understand the attraction. And then I read, you know, one of these bits of research that said, oh, drinking coffee will, will lengthen your life by how many years? And I said, well, okay, well, let me try and see what, <laughs> what, 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 what is this thing? So... Going from not being a coffee drinker to going to be a coffee drinker is a bit of a revelation. It's like, you know, you get the bang because your body is body doesn't know what caffeine is on a regular basis, hasn't had it before because I wasn't a, a Coke drinker. So, you know, the, the first few weeks of drinking coffee, we were like, bong, oh my God, this is what they're talking about. Okay, now I understand. And of course, over time, that sort of lessens. So I go on coffee fast where I stop drinking coffee for a week or two just so that my body can sort of readjust and reset itself. But the big change I made, so that was the first experiment, was to try coffee and realize, okay, it does work. I am more alert. I can work for longer. It does have some benefits. But I did read, read a bit more research that said, you get a bigger bang for the buck if you do a coffee nap. 
So I tried a coffee nap. And if, if, for listeners who may not know what a coffee nap is, it's it counterintuitive action of drinking coffee and then taking a nap right after the last sip. And the nap needs to be only 15 to 20 minutes long. There's good science behind it, and it's, I guess, proven. But in my case, it does work. You wake up with a very, very clear mind, clearer than if you took a regular nap and clearer than if you just took the coffee by itself. So the coffee nap, I found, does work for me. So I wake up early in the morning, 5.30, take a coffee nap at 10, and boom, get the result. And then the final experiment I did, which again has to do with sleep, was to move my coffee drinking to the afternoon. Because being being a, a lion with lots of morning energy meant that after lunch at around, I take a late lunch at around 2 o'clock, I would fall asleep right after lunch, um, take a quick nap. So what I did was I said, okay, given what I'm learning about myself and all this research, let me move the coffee nap to the afternoon. So no coffee in the morning and have a, have my coffee at about 1.30, 2 o'clock because I would have that, usually have that deep lull in the afternoon where I can't out totally. Well, it's worked like gangbusters. The combination of these experiments have allowed me to lengthen the feeling of being productive throughout the day. It's given me given me more, at least another hour, maybe a couple of hours of productive time when my mind is clear and I'm not falling off, you know, falling falling asleep in front of the laptop. It really has worked. But but the principle that I've used all the way throughout is where do I take the the stimulant, which is the coffee, where do I take the nap? And being willing to experiment and I've done three experiments which have sort of worked so far. You bring up some really important thoughts there, Francis, so thank you. And, and I will say this about reading The Power of When and the changes that I had to make because of that. The realization, the assessment that ultimately you know, told me that I was a dolphin explained a lot about why whatever you guys feel and experience regarding sleep has never been what I have felt about sleep. I just fundamentally never slept well. And I didn't I didn't understand why. You know, it's just is what it is. And and I probably considered myself a a, a morning lark. Uh, I you know I, I tend to get up on the early side of things. Um it's a struggle to get out of bed every day, I'm <laughs> not gonna lie. And uh, but uh, that's how I have really managed my life. You know, I've, I've always wanted to do that. You know, there's a lot of prejudice against people who are late risers and those who are who are uh, night owls. I guess just culturally, I, I forced myself into that perspective. And Dr. Bruce allowed me to be able to understand really what I was, he, he described it to such a, a, a great detail that I just was like, Oh my gosh, that's me. That is, you know, and this is not like horoscope level stuff where you like read yourself into it. Uh, this is, you know, verifiable data because, as most of you know who listen, I track a lot of my data. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a quantified self, you know, fan, not fanatic, and uh, and so I track a lot of my bio statistics. All of this bio data that I've been tracking about myself, I can, I it's it's represented in the data exactly what he was saying. So I was like, what should I do? And recognizing that there are social structures in place in my life that conflict with 
various things and how I can do it. You know, I travel a lot for work. And so, you know, there are just natural things that compete with my ability to sleep well. I don't sleep well in hotels, for example, just generally. Uh, but the first night that I'm in a hotel is is basically a lost night. I, I just don't sleep well the first night in any hotel, no matter how many times I stay in the same hotels. And I've had to make adjustments over the years to compensate for that uh, that poor sleep and recognizing that I'm never going to sleep the way that a lion, a wolf, or a bear sleeps. And that took a huge like weight off my shoulder. I, I kid you not how much stress especially since dolphins tend to be <laughs> perfectionists who are type A personalities, it was a huge stress on me that I was not sleeping well to know that I'm just not going to sleep the same way other people do was just a really nice paradigm shift for me. I, I, it wasn't just nice. It was, it was, I think life changing for me to not worry so much about that component of my world and to just do what I could to have better sleep and my sleep quality has remarkably increased since I started doing the things that he talks about for dolphins. And that's been that's just been a huge change for me. So while some of us, and I imagine that that's probably the lions and the bears, won't see much change in their sleep, but based on the power of when, those of us who tend to be wolves and dolphins, I imagine they would see a market change in their life circumstances and their ultimate productivity if they adhere to some of the things that he's talking about because we're the minority and when you're in the minority you don't tend to get the the attention on how to deal with some of these things so i think that's really important yeah this is in this is intriguing to me a little bit because it's starting to force me to rethink about some of the things that we we talk a lot in productivity circles about maximizing the time that you have available and you maximize an eight hour day or a 12 hour day or a 16 hour day. I'm beginning to wonder, are we looking at this entire thing wrong? Should we not consider productivity a 24 hour effort and all the aspects of what we're doing have an impact on how productive we are? I mean, not wanting to sound like a mattress ad, but yes, sleep is critical. It's one of those things that, you know, a third of your life is going to, at a minimum, is going to be sleep for some of us, you know, for dolphins, eh, maybe a quarter. But looking at fitness and nutrition and sleep and work and you know, all those different pieces, if we consider all of this part of our productivity system and we neglect any part of it, are we doing a disservice to our overall productivity? I mean, if we truly want to be productive, we need to be at our best. Well, what are the things that are necessary for that to happen? And if you think about it from a tool perspective, if you've got a saw that you're going to cut a tree, you know, it's the old axiom. If you're going to cut a tree down using an axe or a saw, uh, you're going to spend your time sharpening that saw first to get the work done faster and more efficiently. If you don't, it's gonna take a lot longer. It's gonna be less efficient and less effective. So is it unrealistic to say, hey, you wanna be productive? Then we look at the whole package. We look at all the aspects of it. It's not a matter of which to-do list you're using or what note-taking tool you're using. That's not gonna change this. That's just one little notch in this long string of things that you have to look at to be able to get as close to optimal as you're going to get. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I think that most people look at personal productivity from the margins. They're trying to make incremental change from the margins as opposed to making maximal change from the center. And this is actually the core of, of, of a book I'm writing. And uh, it really makes a lot of sense to me that you would do the things that are going to provide you with the greatest amount of, of productive benefit as opposed to the marginal things that Maybe if you get all the fundamentals down, uh, then you can work on the margins and that's going to eke out a little bit more output for the inputs. But by and large, sleep is one of those big seven uh, areas of your life that if you don't have this stuff down, all the other productive work you can do is marginal. It's going to make marginal increases and that's that's not productive <laughs> you know if you're going to work if you're going to work for uh maximal uh productive gains uh why would you work on the marginal uh skills that are going to get you there and that doesn't make those marginal skills uh, lack importance it just is a timing issue right it's when you you uh, make those uh, effective changes and I think that you should make these fundamental changes first. This is a nice segue to when the scientific secrets of perfect timing by Dan Pink. Most of us know Daniel Pink as the author of Drive and, and several other books and his ongoing interest in social behavior and behavioral science. And what he talks about in the book is really this, this whole productive world construct that you're actually talking about here, Art, which is we spend a lot of time talking about just the times when we're trying to be productive. And he says there's actually more productivity when we think about the times when we're not being productive, that is when we're sleeping and when we're taking breaks. And one of the, the big lessons from the book that I got, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it, is he, he talks about the idea that uh, he talks about the lark, the night owl, and what he calls third birds, or what's traditionally called hummingbirds. Uh, but then going beyond that, he talks about the idea that if we take effective breaks throughout the day, and if we have a good lunch, <laughs> um, then we can actually increase the, the peaks of our productive outputs and, and lessen the productive valleys of our of our days and therefore be more productive on the whole. I'm curious if you if you see it from that perspective, what you think is useful about taking taking breaks throughout the day. And he uses a lot of really good social science research in the book that he kind of describes in furtherance of his arguments in the book. I just think that this is useful to us to think about not just sleep, but also the times when we're taking breaks throughout the day. Francis, it sounds like you take several breaks throughout the day, both for these power naps. Do you do you take other breaks in the day? And how does that help move you productively? Yeah, um, I do. Um, I'm going to take one right after this call. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> no coffee, though, because coffee is now in the afternoon. But I think the, the, the notwithstanding the current research, because I didn't. I didn't read the book, but I read the the sort of the Cliff Notes version, and it struck me as the same principle applied over and over again, based on the most recent research. Which five years from now, unfortunately, is going to be forgotten because there'll be new research that replaces the old research. But the thing to sort of the keep in mind as we go along is that there are there are unchangeable principles, and Art mentioned one, which is sort of this. 24-hour productivity, where you're 
productive when you're sleeping, you're productive when you're awake, you're productive when you're resting, you're productive when you're exercising, you're productive when you're eating. There's sort of a, a mindfulness to bring to everything and to the sequencing of everything and the timing of everything. I think that's the big message of his book, which is that the, the, the timing of your activities makes a, a big difference. And you always sort of need to be on the cutting edge to look for what's the most recent research saying. You know, my, my wife is a longtime coffee drinker. And when she sees me take a coffee nap, you know, she's like, you got to be kidding me. That's, that's crazy. But, but <laughs> the research is, you know, it's brand new or fairly new. It's counterintuitive. And I think we need to sort of keep in mind the overall precepts as we encounter this each bit of new research and then ask ourselves, okay, what does this mean for the overall precept? Does it mean that we change what we're doing? Is this enough evidence? Do I try an experiment to try to see if this particular new finding actually applies to me? But but the overall sort of gestalt of productivity, I think, to pick up on what Art is saying or Art said, I think it's important to accept the premise and then look for data to change the way we sort of manage ourselves as we go along. So yes, I take I take breaks during the day now, but you know if I found if I found information that changed the way I think about my breaks, or I found new research, I would change it in a flash. I would do another experiment, and I would say, oh look, if I take a nap at five, then I could be productive until nine. I would try it, you know, just for the heck of saying, you know, maybe I'm one of these people who is that is reflected in the research, but I'm always scanning. And I think that's, that's sort of the, the mindset. I think that if you want to be productive, you sort of always have to be sort of paying attention to what the latest research is saying and then contend with it somehow. From the break standpoint, I'm going to look at it from somebody who sits most of the time in a corporate environment where crawling under your desk, George Costanza style and taking a nap is relatively frowned on. So for me, the idea of breaks is I'm a big game player. I love games, especially board games. To me, it's like reshuffling the deck. So to use the analogy, if you were playing solitaire, that's the time you're trying to get a project accomplished. You're laying the cards out, you're analyzing, you're putting things in the right place. Then the game ends. And what do you have to do? You have to reshuffle the deck before you can do the next one. Well, that shuffling action, that's the break. So if you're thinking about it, not so much for game context, but any other type of work, that transitionary time can be the break. What you're doing is you're changing the focus of your mind, giving your brain the opportunity to, in the background, process everything that you've done so far and possibly come up with new ideas. It's often the same thing people will say, I come up with my best ideas when I'm in the shower, you know, that type of thing, that, that disconnected mode of thinking, allowing your brain just to run the way it needs to. Well, it doesn't do that well if it's tired, if it's underfed, um, if your body's not in, in decent physical shape, that hampers that disconnection process. Uh, I do it literally all the time. If I'm working on something and I'm kind of hit that wall, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk off. I'll go fill up my coffee mug with water or I'll you know, take a walk downstairs and back upstairs. Do something completely unrelated. And almost nine times out of 10, by the time I get back from whatever I'm doing, a thought will have occurred that, yeah, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to solve this problem. 
It's just a way of that disconnect. So breaks don't have to be 30 minutes down in a cafeteria sitting there with a soda. It can be something as small as five minutes. It can be something as small as 30 seconds. It's that reset that your brain needs. At least that's the way I view it. Yeah, and I think I think that uh, Dan Pink brings up some interesting things about uh, what he calls temporal landmarks, and they can be one of two different things. And so moving the conversation forward, I just want to talk about how some of these, the ways in which we can get ourselves to affect positive changes in our productive worlds time-wise is to look at look at those temporal landmarks. One are, are the social landmarks, and two are personal landmarks. He talks about some research here of university students and them tracking, them checking in at the gym. It, it looks as though at the start of a new semester, that temporal landmark is that they start a new semester, all of a sudden, people start going back to the gym again. That's a, that's a natural point of reference because they're back at school, they're back on campus, they're going to start going back to the gym in larger swaths. But they have other types of, of landmarks, that is the start of a new year. Most people think about New Year's resolutions, and if we think about it from that perspective, it is, it's not really a personal landmark, it's more of a social landmark. We all talk about our New Year's resolutions and our goals for the coming year, and that's enough social pressure to get us to start going back to the gym. Many people do marathons when they are just about to be 30, around that age, just about to be 40, or around that age, uh, just about to be 50, and around that age. And that research actually shows us that you're no, you're no real different than you were at 26 for, to 28, or 32, uh, or from 38 to 40 to 42, or otherwise. Yet for some reason, these, these landmarks in our life are drivers for us to say, I'm going to show myself, the world, whatever, that I can still run a marathon. And so we can use this uh, research to help inform the fact that these temporal landmarks can actually be very useful to us for us to, so, so say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do X at the start of a new week. Well, that's going to be something that's going to be useful to you. You're going to say, I'm going to start this at the start of the month. These kinds of landmarks in our world, in our time, gives us the opportunity to have a reset and to give us that opportunity to uh, now be more productive. And I'm curious about uh, both of you, do you do you make New Year's resolutions? Do you make goals for the new year? And do you use that on any other time scale? Uh, you know, like I have something I call the day reset, and that's if my day has gone off the rails, I will reset my day, and it's actually very productive for me because I go through these little this little you know set of routine uh, that helps me deal with the fact that my day may not be going the way I want it to. And to become more productive, I just need to do this simple set of tasks in uh, in its order. And that allows me to get myself back on track. They're personal things for me, you know, including uh, doing a bit of journaling, uh, reviewing my calendar. It's, it's similar to kind of like a, a, a an abbreviated uh, weekly review, but it's more about self-care than it is about looking at the productive aspects of my day. Whenever we are not being productive, it's likely because we are in fight, flight, or freeze response. Most people only know it as fight or flight response, but it really is fight, flight, or freeze. And so the uh, the idea here is that when your your day is going the wrong way, uh, it's likely because you're doing the wrong activity that's necessary to counteract the the negative components of the day. And so that 
activity for me is to decide on, am I fighting when I should be fleeing? Am I freezing when I should be fighting or other, you know, any number of those combinations. And so that's the goal of the day reset for me is to really determine what my fear state is and then respond more aptly and uh, to do the self-care necessary to reduce all of that stress or distress at that point uh, so that I can go on uh, with the day. The, the, the beginning of a new year marks, there's a number of things I, I do. Um, I have a, usually I have a retreat with my wife of some kind, and it's a planning retreat for my business. Um, I also assemble a compilation that I send out of all my newspaper columns for the year that goes out to all of our, everybody on our, on our mailing list. Um, we probably would do a recap of the year when we do the, when we do the strategic plan, um, and decide what to, how to proceed in the next year. Um, so that kind of thing is definitely kicked off at the, the start of the year for, for, for me. And it's, and it's definitely, I don't know why, you know, January is the perfect month, but it just seems that the energy is right after the holidays to slip back into work and ask, okay, well, what are we going to have the next year be all about? So yeah, the answer is yes. I made a resolution many years ago to never make resolutions. So I've been holding that one strongly. So for me, beginning or the end of each year is the idle time, the, the calm time that I look for, which sounds completely counterintuitive to what most people's holiday seasons and the end of year are. But I look at that window between, you know, just up to the end of the year and about the two weeks prior as an opportunity to put everything away, put every, just stop dealing with it. Stop, get this stuff out of my way. Cause everybody else is doing their holiday things that you don't really have commitments. I work in an IT space. So a lot of things have been locked down at that point. You don't have a lot of change going on. That all kicks in at the beginning of the year. And for me, it's that end window that I need to say, okay, let's just calm things down before we start to ramp up again coming the beginning of the year. For me, the, the, the chronological landmarks are actually more important on a daily basis and on a weekly basis than they are on a, are on a yearly basis. Because for me, on a daily basis, I sense such a difference. It, nine o'clock starts to creep up and I start to nod off in my chair. I know there are certain points where I'm just not going to be able to get things done because of what I'm going to physiologically do at that point in time in the day. And I have to plan and account for that. Same thing on a weekly basis. I'm looking at things going, okay, if I need to get a bunch of stuff done during this time period and I'm down to the point of compression where I'm only going to have this evening to be able to do this kind of work, well, evening's not the good, good time for me to do this type of work. That's going to be a problem and I have to start to shift. It does require, again, that navel gazing, looking ahead and trying to figure out what are the best slots. But I think that's okay. If you go through and you evaluate what you have to do based on when you are most likely to be able to do it successfully, that can make all the difference. I, one of the things I was just sitting here, because I made a list of the chronotypes on my screen earlier. If you go through and you have all the tasks and activities, let's say for a week that you've got, assign chronotypes to them. Say this is a bear looking activity. This is one that kind of has, has to happen in the middle of the day or, or this is one that requires a lot of you know, energy 
just to push something through, you know, project management type of things, or this is a creative type of activity. And then try and match that up with your chronotype cycling, you have a better chance of it being successful. Uh, again, for me, there isn't a, a rigid structure that I follow because I find that you know, Murphy and the rest of the world likes to laugh when I try and put a rigid structure in place. And I have to kind of adapt as to whatever else is being pushed my way. The idea of of using landmarks that are that are much more sh- that are shorter in time horizon, I think is is really powerful here. And I think this is where this is a really great point for us to start winding down the conversation, actually, because this is important for us all to take heed to is that it doesn't require us to have a 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th, 60th birthday and or 70th birthday even uh, for us to decide to do something with our world. We can we can choose to do these things on new beginnings on much shorter time horizons. So you decide whether or not you're going to reset your day and you're going to start a new day right now, or you're going to start a new week tomorrow. And that's going to help you jumpstart some of your projects that might be more short term and all or say, you know, starting next week, I'm going to launch this new project, uh, find a landmark that uh, whether that be a social or personal landmark in your in your world, that's going to help you determine that's when you're going to start heading back to the gym, uh, eating a more nutritious uh, diet, uh, looking at having a better relationship with your brother or sister. You know, these are the times when you have the opportunity to say, okay, this is not the way that I want it to be. Let me make a commitment to changing that and using time as a mechanism for for doing that. So we have this this wonderful ability to change our daily schedules and to then extrapolate that that level of change by using the new and novel approach to change at any other time frame. And so this is the end of our conversation. Thank you, gentlemen. And we're going to uh, segue into some announcements before we close out. Uh, first and foremost, do you have a question or comment about this cast or something we've discussed here on this episode of Productivity Cast? If you're listening from anywhere other than the podcast website, uh, we invite you to jump over to productivitycast.net. And there at the bottom of the page is a comment field. You can leave a comment or question. And one of us here on the team will be glad to respond. Uh, also here at productivitycast.net, you'll find the show notes, uh, PDF transcript, and links to anything we've discussed are uh, easily jumped to from the show notes. They have links to all that stuff. And you can learn how to subscribe here on the website by clicking on the subscribe button. Um, otherwise, if you have a question about personal productivity generally that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, go ahead and visit productivitycast.net forward slash contact and uh, fill out the form or use the voice input field. We have a we have a voice uh, voicemail widget. You can just leave a message directly from the website. Uh, thanks to Francis Wade and our Gelwicks for joining me here on this episode of Productivity Cast. If you could, please add a rating or review in iTunes or Stitcher. We just love the kudos. <laughs> but it also actually helps us grow our personal productivity uh, listening community. Uh, and so thank you. Uh, that brings us to the uh, finality of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Thank you, gentlemen. Here's to your productive life. 
That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.